1: Then I was about 25 years old, I was uh, busted and into jail and it was there that I came to the Lord History Makers with Matt Prater Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater Today we're speaking with Pastor Greg Cumming who is connected with Good News for Israel A uh, great organisation building bridges of peace between Jews, Arabs and Christians We're going to hear a bit more about that shortly but let's find out a bit about your story mate Where were you born and raised Greg? G'day, Matt. Yeah, look, I'm actually a Toowoomba boy. I was born in Toowoomba
0: um, 50-odd years ago, uh, but raised in Brisbane, so we've been a a Queensland, uh, you know, family for all of that time.
1: And what was life like for you growing up? Were you raised in a religious household?
0: Uh, no, we weren't. I mean, we were the probably a, a typical Aussie family, went to church on Christmas and Easter, but um, that was about it, Al- although there was a period there where I think mum and dad took us to a, a Baptist church, and uh, I just fondly remember the, um, the cho- children's church leader teaching some stories about Jesus, and I was very interested as a young boy, I'm, I'm talking only about five or six years old. Uh, you know, years later when I did come to the Lord, those stories seemed to bounce back, you know, sort of like a song will remind you of something or a smell. Uh, those, those little stories, I remember, um, you know, really falling in love with Jesus as a little boy, but then there was a big long patch, when, you know, I, there was no real religious connection or Christian connection. So, yeah, they, they did have an impact, I just didn't realize it at the time.
1: And tell us a bit about your uh, early life uh, as a teenager. W- was there a conversion an experience at some stage? How did, how did you come to know the Lord?
0: You know, I reflect back uh, with a lot of Aussies. There's this sort of this uh, chime of agreement of what life was like back in the '70s and the '80s. You know, we used to play cricket on the streets and uh, soccer and footy and all that sort of thing. Dad used to take us to the football on Sunday afternoons. And so hey, we weren't uh, we weren't bad kids. We got up to mischief, but we weren't bad kids. But at the, at the time when I was about 18, 19 years old, I was starting to explore different things. And uh, I was at the Queensland University. Uh, and at that point in time, I was questioning life. You know, I was just wondering, you know, what was life all about? And at that point in time at the Queensland Uni, uh, some people came up to me, you know, different people over a period of a couple of years and started to introduce me to, um, you know, the concept about God and the, and the, the scriptures about Jesus uh, being the Son of God and, and our Saviour. And it really, uh, really connected with me, and, and that's really started my journey to discover the Lord. It was uh, on the 19th of May, 1985, when I found myself in, in a church that my mum had started to attend. Uh, and uh, I heard the Gospel really preached powerfully for the first time when I heard about the commitment that Jesus had made, you know for me and for everyone, I just couldn't hold back. I had to give my life to him. in fact i my my words on giving my life to the Lord was if you are prepared to pay that price, if that was your level of commitment, I am prepared to give the same commitment uh, and give you my whole life for the rest of my life. and so, it was a very serious conversion. I wasn't uh, I wasn't going into, you know, I didn't feel I was going into a religion or anything. I felt like I was really entering into a relationship with the Lord. In fact, I that first night uh, after I had, you know, walked to the front and given my life to Jesus, I actually laughed most of the night long because I just felt so free. Uh, and so that was the start of my fantastic walk with the Lord. It's been some 33 years now, so... And a lot of that involved in ministry of some description, reaching other people and bringing them into the same experience that I had when I was just a, a teenager.
1: I'd love to know, after you had that conversion experience, did everyone notice the change in your life?
0: Uh, yeah. Look, um, I wasn't a, a very bad boy, but I, certainly a, a great peace came upon me and a great joy. As I said, I just seemed to laugh a lot more. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, my whole my whole life literally shifted. In fact, it wasn't long after that that I decided instead of continuing my um, engineering degree to its fullness, and I was quite late in the degree, I just felt a distinct call to follow the Lord into a more direct uh, ministry role. Uh, and so that took me into Bible college, etc. So, yeah, there was a big change in my life, and people who thought that I would have entered into the, the world of business and engineering suddenly saw me going off and, Wondering what what the heck's he doing? He's over now, doing Bible colleges. He's still you know he's still with us. Uh, but yeah, look that 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 decision really altered the the direction of my life. And of course, yeah, a lot of people saw the change.
1: And tell us about your career. What were you doing for work? Uh, you know, what was your, your ministry career? How did how did you get into that?
0: Yes, I, I met my wife at the place I was working in as we were working our way through Bible College, and uh, she. She actually gave a heart to the Lord uh, while I was in that. I remember inviting the entire workplace, 46 staff, to church, and a couple came. One of those was my to be my future wife, Jay, and she came along to a meeting and at um, at, at our church. And she actually gave a heart to the Lord. It was you know a year later or so that we started to see each other and and uh, fall in love with each other and. Uh, when we got married we st- we we went to a ministry training school at our church and we were launched into church planting we went as assistant pastors over to Western Australia in 1988 and started uh, the church over in a little town called Rockingham just south of Perth that was our first venture into ministry apart from our associated uh, you know youth programs I used to do some street preaching in the Queen Street mall on a Friday night with the couple of friends of mine, and uh, we were trained up by the open-air campaigners in New Zealand. So we were, doing, we were seeing people come to the Lord right on the streets. We were in old-age homes and those sort of things. We were, just, uh, we were really loving life and loving serving the Lord.
1: And tell us about the next steps after pastoring in Rockingham.
0: <laughs> well, so we, I came back from Rockingham and actually had a real shift at that point. Um, we started uh, to get involved in business. And uh, I started a company in Brisbane, and we were pretty well a city-wide service company. And it grew to, we had about 35 uh, contractors working for us across the city, and we were making tons of money and and, uh, employing Bible college students and furthering the gospel wherever we could, you know, supporting evangelists if we could. We're very, very focused on what we wanted to do with our funds, and uh, so that was our next phase. We were into business and felt like we were more of a supportive role for direct evangelists, crusades, you know, people who, you know, missions, people who were going on missionary work or orphans or whatever. We just found ourselves in that role at that period of time. And, uh, you know, we, I'd started offices all around the country uh, in a telecommunications business I was involved with. Yeah, so we were we were again enjoying the law, but just a different focus. That moved us up to around about 1998, 99, when the Lord placed on our hearts to be involved directly in missionary work. And uh, Jay and I ended up in 99 uh, heading across. We we packed, sold the business, packed up, took the boys across to uh, Africa, to Mozambique, to a little town called Beira. And we started our ministry there, which at the time was called Mozambique Outreach. We started a little church under a, you know, a tree, <laughs> and invited people along. And we saw people come to the Lord, and we started to train up leaders and, uh, you know, identify other pastors that could potentially be pastors. It was a pretty wild uh, place at the time. It was a bit of the frontier life, adventure life, and um, so over there we saw God do incredible things in terms of miracles. We saw God really demonstrative miracles in people's lives, healing miracles. We saw people set free from demons. We saw, you know, limbs grow. We saw a girl who had never walked for 15 years suddenly walk under the power of God, you know. So, and we were running, starting churches. We started a little school there that's, you know, since grown up to be about 2,000 people, in the kids in the school, We've started the plannings of a Christian university and trade training school, etc. So the ministry grew. We we had a literacy program uh, that was being looked at by the the United Nations as a you know a, a program for the poorest of the poor, and uh, we'd spread that out into about 170 villages and had taught thousands of um, particularly adults how to read and write so that they could then get scriptures in their hands that would be meaningful for them. So. We were seeing great transformation in Mozambique at that time and some of our churches there, we got Pastor Mario's church has grown to be over 10,000 now and his conferences, etc. So, you know, it's just a wonderful era of, of working directly with probably the poorest of the poor people.
1: What an inspirational story and uh, amazing to hear about all the miracles you've seen over there. A lot of people say they see more miracles in places like Africa than they do in the West. What do you you think is the key to seeing miracles?
0: Well, it's funny you should say that because I've heard people say that, but um, I actually, I I would reverse that. I've probably seen more miracles here in Australia than I have in, in, in places like Mozambique. And of course, I've traveled to Philippines and Papua New Guinea and different, places where you'd say, oh, great miracles there. But I think the recipe for miracles has never changed. It's, um, it's, the, it's the gospel has the power for salvation. And that, um, you know, I, I personally feel that it, when we preach that gospel in its full sense, uh, it will bring faith in people's hearts. And, and when that faith is there, that's really the key. And uh, I, that's what I've found anyway. And if I'm not even seeing a miracle happening I will just revert back to the basic recipe. It's like the basic scone recipe, flour, water, and a bit of salt make a scone. So preaching it that way, when you're not seeing anything, then uh, brings it back to the raw ingredients to build faith, which then creates this platform to see miracles happen. And that's exactly what we saw in Mozambique. But then applied here in Australia, I actually, having run a church you know, here, seen more miracles here, to be honest, Matt. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, but one way or another The the miracle healing power of Jesus is absolutely real
1: <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful And, mate, I know you were pastoring for many years At King's Church at the Gold Coast Quite a large church What was that season like?
0: Yeah, look, a great season um, 2012 I took uh, over the senior pastoring of King's Church Down in Reedy Creek on the coast uh, Big church with a, a, with a big school, a couple of schools so, uh, yeah, very different uh, period of my life. I found it absolutely brilliant from the point of view as being able to bring people together and start to create a family or a group of people that was started to have a, a similar culture, a, a sense of missionary activity, healing, um, discipleship. Uh, we sent in, our, I think in my last year there in 2016, sent over 200 people out on short-term missions in that year, internationally. So we just were wanting to get people out and, and activated. We'd have people out into the, the, the neighbourhood and the running life groups and all those sort of things, but with an intention to see people come to the Lord. When I think about that, I think um, it's come from the day that I really gave my heart to the Lord and such life and such joy came into my life. It's a little hard to contain, and so I, um, I think what we were trying to build there at Kings was a culture where the gospel is powerful. It's wonderful. It's full of joy. Jesus is relevant. Jesus can change your life. The gospel is the the key to salvation. And so that was the intention there. And and of course, you know, church life is is different to mission life. I liken missionary life to sort of like being in a speedboat going. To places quickly, and and and, a, and a running a church is a bit like a big paddle steamer. You know, you've got to take the whole group on a big journey, so it just turns a bit slower, etc. But the value in taking a big group of people on a journey and passing them into you know the deeper things of God is just a just tremendous. Just loved it.
1: Tell us a bit about good news for Israel, uh, you've taken the leadership there I, I've met Fraser Harding, the the previous uh, uh, guy that was running it for a while, he's a top bloke Tell us how you came into into this role
0: Well, look, uh, probably six, seven years ago, the Lord really started to speak into my heart about this area of you know our faith that is so prominent that often in Australia, and me in particular, I'd say that uh, you know up to probably 30 odd years of ministry hadn't really focused much on Israel, you know, and when I started to, I don't know, delve and, and go into it a little bit deeper, in, in the context of the kingdom of God, I realised that Israel plays a massive part, not only in our faith and in the kingdom of God, but in our future, you know, by that I mean that God is always re- refers to himself as the God of Israel, past and present and in future, and so when he comes back, he's, he even refers to himself as the God of Israel. So... I guess my journey started to investigate that more than anything else, and as I did, I began to realize, gee, you know, just through probably my own personal ignorance, there's a whole chunk of my faith, my journey and relationship with God that I've been missing out on. And so I jumped right into that several years ago and started to take our church on on that journey of just discovering the implications of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, And how does that play out? And then I found that it really does play out in the area of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Now, that's a a word you'll hear me say a lot is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. What I mean by that is many of the prophetic words that lead up to the climax of this age when, when Jesus comes back, have to do, of course, as you know, modern Western Australian Christians, we often talk more about the Antichrist and tribulation and the mark of the beast and things like that. But there is a more solid generic block of scriptures that have to be fulfilled before the Lord comes back, such as there needs to be a nation of Israel and a city of Jerusalem that is the capital of Israel for Jesus to come back to. And that nation consists of Jewish people who had been scattered around the world and now must be gathered in by God and brought back to that that specific nation of Israel. Not only that, uh, the Apostle Paul says that, you know, for a period of time, this gospel is going to spread out to the Gentiles, but then there's going to, you know, because there's a blinding in part, a veil, if you like, over the eyes of the Jewish people who have not yet recognized Jesus or Yeshua, as they would call him, as their Messiah, um, the Messiah that they all long for and believe for, The Gentiles seem to have got him first, you know, after the initial group of disciples in Jesus' time. The Gentiles seem to be getting saved by the millions and and perhaps billions. Uh, But at the end of the age, Paul says that that blindness is going to turn into a jealousy whereby they're looking at people who are around the world, accepting their Messiah before them, and there's going to be a great harvest of Jewish people come into the kingdom of God or into an understanding, should I say, that Jesus is that long-awaited Messiah. So when this opportunity to be involved with Good News for Israel came up, my good friend Fraser Harding was stepping down out of that and asked if I would uh, consider taking it on now that I was free from my role at King's. Look, I prayed and I jumped at it because I just feel like this is something that's right on the cusp. We're right on the, the prophetic edge of the future. And I feel it's just time for us to be now starting to turn our focus on preparing the world for the return of the Lord.
1: Well, it's a wonderful ministry, and if people want to find out more, the website is goodnewsforisrael.com. Is that the best place to go to? Yes, they
0: can go to there. Absolutely, first place I'd go to.
1: Wonderful, and uh, a great ministry. Greg Cumming, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. My absolute pleasure, Matt. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels, and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater. And my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League.